You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We're in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 6 today. Genesis 6. Genesis is at the beginning of your Bible, okay? So you you can find it pretty easily. Uh, On my Bible, we're on page 5, okay? We're working through the beginning part of Genesis um, and what's going on so far in the book of Genesis is God has made the world, made man and woman in his image, very special in his image. Um, they chose sin, disobeying God in the garden. They were sent away from the garden. And now um, they find themselves living outside of the garden. And they're having children. And the world is just kind of getting worse. Right? Adam and Eve had their first set of kids. And uh, one killed the other. Right? That's not a good start. Um, to the progeny of, of humanity, right? Uh, and it didn't get better from there, right? As generations went on, sin increased. Uh, and then we had a whole list of names last week um, to watch as, as the world um, continued to get worse in some ways. But we had people in the process who were faithful to what God was doing. So while sin increased, there was a righteous remnant. There was a group of people who remained faithful Um, to what God was calling them to do, uh, typified by Enoch, right? And so now we get um, right up to the story of Noah. Noah's the, I don't know, probably the most well-known story in the book of Genesis. Probably more well-known than the story of creation is Noah's Ark, right? I mean, we have um, we have children's toys and puzzles and books about it. I mean, it is a super well-known story. We're not going to get all the way there today because right before Noah's Ark, right before the story of the destruction of the world, right before all of that, we have a really weird turn in the book of Genesis, right? If you've ever read the book of Genesis... Uh, and you've been troubled by something in the book of Genesis, it would probably happen right about here in Genesis chapter 6. So we're going to read verses 1 through 8 today, and then we're going to talk about what's going on, what exactly is going on in the story, why it matters, uh, and how it applies to our lives. So read with me Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, "...when man began to multiply on the face of the land..." And daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children. To them, These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so there's a couple things that are troubling in this passage. The first happens at the beginning. Verses 1 through 4 is one of the most confusing sections of Scripture because we have this group of people known as the sons of God, and we have this group of people known as the daughters of man, and they're getting married, which 
okay, we don't know exactly what's going on, and that is making God very upset, right? That's kind of the overarching, if we just read it, that's what we see. And then we have this group of people called the Nephilim, uh, which is, aside from being a a hangman answer, like we, we don't even know what to do with this Nephilim, these mighty men of renown from yesteryear. What is going on in the world, in the story of creation, in the story of the origins of mankind, that God saw fit to talk about whatever was happening here uh, specifically. There is a lot of opinions on this passage. More opinions on this passage than probably are in this room right now. Uh, I led a small group Bible study on the book of Genesis, uh, and one of the reasons that I was requested to do the book of Genesis was these four verses. Right? They're like, let's study the book of Genesis, because there's four verses in there that is just wild. Right? Who are these people? So there's a couple of main theories about who the sons of man are, or sons of God are. The only other time the phrase sons, plural, of God is used in Scripture, uh, in Hebrew, is in the book of Job. It's used three times in the book of Job. Every time it's used in the book of Job, it's used to speak of angelic beings. Every single time. So uh, if you just go with a straight reading of it, sons of God equals angels, then what we would have in Genesis chapter 6 is angels procreating with people, right? Making some sort of uh, chimera mix of angel and person, right? And I don't know what, what, what that would be. Um, it, it, would be, it would be wrong, though, right? And so the traditional understanding, the longest understanding of this passage is that angels uh, are the sons of God. The daughters of man are just people. And so you have angelic beings um, having children with, taking up, marrying uh, these, these daughters of man. And then they would have children, which are the Nephilim, which are like... Uh, I mean, you read some of the people in the, in the Bible, right? we got people like Goliath, like these, these monstrous, massive people. Where did these people come from? These great warriors um, from back in the day. And the idea is maybe it came from some of that. It kind of neglects the fact there was a major flood event that happened between those two occurrences. right? There was kind of a big mass human extermination in between them. Um, but we have some pretty interesting characters, and I think maybe the Nephilim were carried through, and that's where we get some of these other things. That's the base level reading. I don't love this reading. That's why I start with it, by the way. I start with it because it's not my preferred reading. I like to shoot it down. Okay, so here's what I don't like about uh, that reading. When Jesus speaks uh, of angels, right, uh, right, and he speaks of heaven later on in in his ministry, uh, he says, you know, when we get to heaven, right, there'll be no marrying and giving in marriage, um, which is encouraging in some ways and discouraging in others. He says, we'll all be like angels, right? Where we won't be giving and taking in marriage. And so there's an idea, we never see it anywhere else inside of biblical literature, um, that angels have any desire um, for marriage or any marital acts. It's not there aside from possibly this little passage right here. It seems outside of the character of angels to be having children, to be seeking that out. Now, there was a major angelic event, right? The fall, right? Lucifer sent down to earth. Uh, I don't know, a third of the angels or so went with him. And possibly pre that, this could be a legitimate reading. But I don't see it. I don't love it. I don't like it. So sons of God, to me, has to mean something else. So there's two other options, okay? Uh, there's option one, and there's option two. So uh, let's go with option two. What do you think? Let's just choose option two. So here's, here's, here's option 
2. Here's the option that I prefer. The option I prefer is that the sons of God is literally the children who were faithful to the commands of God. These are the children who were uh, inside of the line of uh, Seth. If you were to look down the genealogy, and we have Enoch and the good Lamech, not the bad Lamech, and we have Noah. We have a, a, a line of people who seem to be faithful to the covenant that God had given them seem to remain inside of God's general will, clearly not perfect. And then we have this other line of mankind, which is much more earthly mankind. It would follow the line of, of Cain, right, and Cain's descendants. And if you read the genealogy in Cain's descendants, they get worse and worse and worse, right? That's my preferred reading. There's another reading that says that they're um, kings, and somehow there's some literature that says sons of God. There's a divine sort of principle around kings. And so maybe the kings were taking women as their own. Regardless of what's happening here, though, regardless of what you want to read into this, but regardless of really how you see this passage, none of that matters for interpretation, not greatly at least. Because what we have here is some sort of pagan sinful act, so sinful that we may not understand it today, you know, four or six thousand years removed from the writing of this, that we may not understand it, but God said this was righteously wrong. It was so flagrantly wrong that it was apparent to everyone that this was something that was awful. And we know what awful sin looks like. We can see it in our world today, right? When we see awful sin, we stand up and we say, oh my goodness, that's, uh, it can be disgusting or it can be just wrong, right? And we stand up and we say, that's not right. Whatever was going on in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4, it was clearly flagrantly wrong, whether it was kings abusing their power and taking over the kind of Braveheart first night thing. Everyone seen Braveheart, you understand where I'm going here, right? If it's kings abusing their power and taking any woman they want for an evening, or whether it was angels coming and, and having some sort of weird relationships with mankind, or whether it was the, the people who are faithful to God's commands, who were uh, interbreeding with those who were living sinful pagan lives, thus losing any faithful remnant, whatever was going on was flagrantly wrong, so much so that God said, this pagan life has to have an end. You know, there was a whole long line, we did a genealogy last week, and these people lived forever, right? Methuselah lived 969 years, right? They lived forever, like centuries old, and, and, and like they're having kids when they're 140 years old. It's insane how long the, the lifespan of people is so much so that we try to figure out like maybe they were counting months as years like we get confused and try to rationalize something other than what what we have as the plain reading here we try to try to figure it out but god says this sort of pagan life has to have a fixed ending he says so the the length of man's days are 120 years there's going to be some people who live noah himself lives more than 120 years but there is a winding down of life expectancy of mankind, right? And here we are today, years later. If you live to be 120, you are, you're, you're, you're showing up on, on the news, right? Good Morning America is interviewing you, right? They're, they're, they're taking some time with you. Because people don't live that long, right? We get people to 100 every once in a while, and we feel really good about it. I had a grandfather-ish. Some, my grandmother married a guy, and he turned 100. I get, technically, that's my grandfather. I don't really know the rules when your 80-year-old grandmother marries someone. Right, like I don't do I call him grandpa? I don't know. Um, she she had a hundred year old husband for a while there. Um, wonderful thing, right? But but you know he lived to be one hundred and one or one hundred and two, and then he lived no more because life has a fixed end, and God was not going to allow that sort of flagrant 
pagan sin to go without his intervention. Right? As the world continued to get worse, as pagan sin and some sort of like crazy sexual deviancy was going on, God stepped in and said, this is going to stop. We're not going to continue going down that path. And then we see, right, that and we pick up in verse 5, that it's not just this one group of people who's living pagan, wicked lives. It has infected the entirety of everyone. And there it says, the wickedness, um, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention, every thought of his heart was only on evil continually. Mankind had been so corrupted by sin. The stain of sin, the curse of sin, the pain of sin was so deeply embedded in mankind's culture that everything we did as a people was wicked. We were naturally wicked. And you know, if you live in a wicked place, it is very difficult to be righteous. That's just a little practical life for you, by the way. If your job environment is full of wickedness, you will be very hard-pressed to maintain righteousness, right? If everyone around you is, is bad-mouthing their spouses and uh, going out and cheating on them, it'll be very difficult for you to value your spouse in the way in which God has intended for you to do. If everyone around you is cussing and telling lewd jokes, it's very difficult for you to rise above that. My wife sees this in her husband sometimes. When I'm around the wrong people, which are some long-term people in my life, people who I've known since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. There's some, some country talk for those of you from my own county. Since I was a little nothing, right? If I get around those people for too long, I revert back to not the best version of me. The, the version of me that probably couldn't stand up and give a sermon uh, without a lot of hypocrisy wrapped around it, right? Because I, I surround myself with these people. I get surrounded by these people for a season, and it's bad for me. You may have those people in your world. The entirety of humanity was like that in this time period, but in our world, there are pockets of people like that who every thought they have every inclination of their heart every dream that they have is wicked and so they pursue after that and if you hang out with those people you will look like them if you're a young person here today and you're dating or thinking about dating or one day maybe going to find someone to date and marry understand the person that you bind yourself together with the person that you spend all that time with will affect you y'all will regress to whatever the worst version of y'all is. So find someone who's holy, someone who pursues righteousness, someone who seeks out for God's glory, so that as y'all regress back to the worst version of y'all, it's still something that pursues righteousness. Right? Because, because we're, we're going to look like those people around us. The entirety of humanity was so screwed up by sin, so messed up by sin, so overwhelmed by the sin nature that they had, that as these crazy whatever was going on and the sons of God, daughters of man thing, it didn't even register eventually with them. The whole culture was wicked. And so not only was mankind's lifespan going to be cut down to 120 years, God experienced great pain looking at his creation. If you're a parent here today, you, you know what that pain is like, right? Your kid does something. I have a, a handful and 
I have an Antonio Alfonseca handful. If you know who Antonio Alfonseca is, he's a six-fingered closer for the Marlins back in the early 2000s, okay? That's just a random baseball reference. I have six kids, okay? And all of my kids, except maybe the littlest one, though he's working on it now, have led me to grieve about myself. I, I look at them and I'm like, oh, it's not all the time. I have wonderful children some days, right? But, but, but there are times when your kids do things, and in your heart you're like, oh, no, please be better. than." And this is what God has experienced. He looks at his creation, and God has much more influence on creation than I have on these children that, that, that I'm entrusted with. And, and he looks at it, and God is grieved in his heart. You know, that, that tells us a lot about God, right? That he has emotions that get stirred by what you do. You know, your attitude, your actions, your sin, or your righteousness affects the mood of God. Now, this is kind of a, a, an exaggeration, but, but, but you matter enough that God has feelings towards what you do. That's whenever, whenever I give my definition for sin, I take it from the good news clubs. You know, sin is anything you think, say, or do that breaks God's law. Or makes him sad. That's my definition for sin, okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's an easy, cute little definition for sin. But it's true. When you do things that grieve the heart of God, that's sin. And when you choose sin, it grieves the heart of God. Right? There is no such thing as a sin that does not affect other people. There's no harmless sin. There's no sin that's so personal like, it's your sin. Sometimes uh, men, we get tricked into thinking with, like, pornography. I'll use the sin that is most pervasive in American culture, okay, for, for men. We, we, have, we have this pornography thing, and we think, man, if, if it's just me and my, uh, my, my screen, no one is getting hurt in this transaction. Like, it may not be good for my soul, and I feel a little guilt and shame as I go this way, but you know what? It's okay because... You know, no one is getting hurt. My wife isn't getting hurt. My kids aren't getting hurt. There's no pain out there. But the truth is, when you choose sin, not only is it bad for you, and it is bad for you, it grieves God. It matters. There's no, there's no sin that's so personal that it doesn't affect someone else. And that means the littlest sins that you do have an effect on God. But the sin of the world was so uh, aggressive that God grieved that he had even made us. He regretted even taking the seven days to spin creation into existence because it had become so messed up. Maybe you've had experiences like that, right? You've gone into something, best of intentions, and then you look at what you've done, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is a disaster everywhere I look. And you know, you're like, man, what did I do? Right now, God is not shocked by mankind's sinfulness. God is omniscient. He knows the sinfulness of, of man. But it doesn't change the fact that he responds emotionally with emotions. Emotions aren't bad. Sometimes I'm an unemotional person. I'm not quite stoic, but I lean that direction. So like when uh, I love my wife, by the way, but I'm going to throw a stone. My wife is an emotionally driven person. That's not an emotionally driven man. She's an emotional person. If she gets angry... She gets angry. If I get angry, I get, I get passive. I get quiet. I draw in, and then I say sharp things. right? But I don't, I don't show it. I don't scream much at all. I don't yell. It's not my temperament right? to get overly emotional. And so I think sometimes like, uh, that I'm better 
than emotional people. Not you, though, baby. Other people, okay? I think I'm better than people who can't handle their emotions, to get overwhelmed with their emotions. I think emotions are a weakness of mankind, but it's not true. Emotions are who we are. God has made us to be emotional. He himself is emotional. And so God has this great pain that he experiences because of mankind's sinfulness, because of the the wickedness of mankind. And so he offers judgment on mankind. I want you to tell you something. If you're living today in some sort of pagan sin, and pagan sin is any sin, uh, really it's literally any sin, but if you're finding yourself living in unrepented sin, you're caught up in sin, you are grieving the heart of God and you are begging for the judgment of God. Right? That is going to come. That is the steps that happen in, in the process. God is grieved by your sin, your choices, your high-handed choices to disobey his commands. And then judgment is around the corner. Mankind was allowed to go through wickedness for maybe generations before God said, you know what, I'm burning the whole thing down. Really, I'm going to rain water on this place until it is no longer here. God grieved that he had made mankind and then he offered judgment. He said, I am going to blot out every living Thing. That means every person was going to die, but also every animal was going to die, every living thing was going to die, and the whole world was going to be destroyed because you guys, and your parents back then, chose sin. Right, there's consequences that go out there. Your sin affects you, there will be judgment on you, and the judgment sometimes is ugly for other people. Right, The little bunny rabbit that was hopping through the forest... Right, little bunny Fufu that was running around in the forest. He did not deserve to get a rainstorm on him. He did not. He did not deserve. He was eating a carrot, or I don't even know if rabbits like carrots. To be fair, I think Bugs Bunny's ruined that for everybody. Right, he was just doing whatever a bunny does. But then the rain started, and he didn't get to live anymore because your sin, your ancestral sin, affected his existence. And if it was true back then, it's true now. Your sin affects the existence of other things. You are not an isolated character in this world. We are all interconnected. Watch the Lion King. It's in there, right? No, it's probably not great theology, right? But the idea is we're all connected. Your sin affects the entire spectrum of the universe, the cosmos, all of creation. And the judgment on you doesn't just affect you. Right, I've seen men be judged for their sin by God, and it's been clear it's divine judgment on their sin, yet their family is ripped apart because of that. I've seen churches experience the judgment of God, and the community around them is, is left cratering because the gospel witness has been uh, punished because they have failed their biblical mandate. Right? Your sin will be judged. It grieves God. It's real. It grieves God. It will be judged. And the judgment will not just affect you. It will affect the entire world. But I love verse 8. Verse 8 is probably where I should have spent most of the time instead of trying to explain all the, uh, who the sons of God are. Because verse 8 shows that there's hope. There's hope in the midst of a wicked world for God to show his divine favor on wicked mankind. We have this verse, verse, verse 8, in the first word, and it's wonderful. It says, but. But is the, the, the best word after judgment. God is going to destroy the world. He's going to kill everybody. Things are going to go down. Little bunny foo-foo is not going to be catching another breath. The world is ending, but. Right? You're lost in your sin. You're going to hell. There's nothing you can do. The more you try, the worse it gets. Your grip on hell is getting closer and closer every day that you live. 
but Jesus came. Right? The buts in Scripture are so important. In this verse right here, it says, though there was all this wickedness and the world was going to hell in a handbasket, literally heading directly for perdition. God steps in and says, but there's this guy named Noah. And you know what Noah did? He found favor in God's eyes. This doesn't mean right, that Noah was perfect or holy, righteous, and upstanding. We're going to see in a little bit that he was a, a pretty, pretty good dude, especially compared to his neighbors, right? But he found favor in God's eyes. God, God is in the business of showing divine grace on people who, you know, grace is unmerited favor. It's things that we receive that we don't deserve. Grace is the reason that you get to come and experience the love of Jesus Christ. You don't deserve God's love, right? You're not good enough to deserve God's love, but God loves you anyways. Unmerited. You didn't deserve it. Just because you came to church today, God doesn't like you more. God loves you because God chose to love you. He showed you unmerited favor, grace, a beautiful word. Noah receives the grace of God on his life. For some reason, as God looked across creation, as he grieved in his heart, as judgment was impending, he says, but I will be gracious. And that is the character of God in just like four verses. God is just, he's the judge, he will be righteous, there will be consequences for sin. He's also gracious and forgiving. And he has a very soft spot in his heart for mankind. God loved mankind. So he sought the world over and he found this guy. And he said, I'm going to show this man grace. And because of God's grace to that man, we exist today. You would not exist today outside of the grace of God shown to Noah. Noah did not deserve God's favor. Noah was not righteous enough to earn God's favor. God said, I will give it to you anyways. You know what? That's the exact same thing for us. As you don't deserve God's favor. You don't deserve forgiveness for your sins. You don't deserve eternal life with God in heaven. What you deserve, as I've said multiple times, is death and hell. It's what you deserve. Dr. Pepper um, is now advertising on the top of their uh, Dr. Pepper can. It says, you deserve uh, this or something like that. No, you don't deserve a Dr. Pepper, right? You might enjoy a Dr. Pepper, but you deserve death and hell. It's what you deserve. My daughter, well, a proud parent moment here, okay? Uh, I, I, there's Dr. Pepper on, uh, I don't even know where it came from, but it was sitting on a coffee table at my house, and then my daughter gets a Sharpie and crosses out this or whatever, and it's like, death and hell, right? Like, 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 like it's a proud parent moment, right? Because they understand, like, you don't deserve it, Right? We don't deserve good things in this world. You're wicked. You're bad. If you don't think you're wicked and bad, you're worse because you're, you're, you're deluding yourself into thinking you're, you're good. You're bad. You deserve death and hell. It's all you deserve. But God gives grace. So you get to have that, Dr. Pepper, by the grace of God. Right? You get to have that donut that they say you deserve by the grace of God. Right? You get to have eternity. Get to have eternity in relationship with a God who loves you by the grace of God. Jesus Christ came to earth because he loved mankind, not because you deserved him's coming. 
He died on the cross for our sins, rising again from the dead, conquering death and hell, paying the punishment for our sins, not because you deserved it in some sort of crazy, like if I throw another 20 in the offering plate, maybe I'll deserve God's grace. No, you don't deserve it. He, he gave it to you because He loves you. You are beloved by God. While, while you are wicked and sinful, you are the people in Genesis chapter 6. You're, 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 you're totally depraved. Right? That's, a, that's a term that's kind of owned by Calvinism, but it's pretty true. Like Deep down inside who you are, you are eternally, by your own merit, ruined. But God gives grace to you anyways because He loves you. Because you are loved by the creator of the universe. As God looked across all of his creation, he saw you and he said, I'm going to show favor to Matt Higginbotham. No, Matt is not a good young man of 15. No, Matt is not worthy of my, of my love and forgiveness. How could I possibly be? No, Matt's not a, a, a righteous person, but I'm going to favor him anyways. And God demonstrated His grace to me. And I received that grace. And when you've been given grace, your only response is to receive. It's not to bargain, right? To say like, well, I, you know, could you, give, could you give it to me, but also to these 48 other people that are important to me? Right? You're not in a bargaining position. If I was giving out Christmas presents today and I gave... Uh, you know, when it's Christmas time, my wife gets better things than my kids. I have 100 kids, okay? I got one wife. They're all going to leave one day. God willing. They're all going to leave one day. She's still going to be there. Again, God willing. She'll still be there. Maybe not after the sermon. I'm not sure. Uh, right? She gets better things from me. Why? Because she, cause, cause, cause I favor her. God looked across creation right, right, and, 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 he, and He favors us. We're not in a position to bargain and barter with God in that moment. We receive God's grace and His love. We receive that by responding in obedience to Him, right? To, to the call of God, trusting in Jesus Christ through faith. The grace of God poured out at the cross of Jesus Christ. We call out to God in that moment. If you're forgiven here today, the only reason you stand forgiven is because of the grace of God. The only reason Noah stood forgiven in the midst of this wickedness was because of the grace of God. As sin has continued to increase, and it is again and continuing to increase. This is a wicked place we live today, guys. This is not righteous world. You know, when America was founded, we thought we'd be a city on a hill, right, set off there as a lampstand, and we'd bring the nations to Jesus. Uh, some people thought that was how this... We're, we're not doing that job, guys. We're exporting wickedness. That's what we do as Americans. We take wickedness, consumerism, uh, sexual sin, uh, materialism, and we export it to the world. There are poor places in the world that we are selling them materialism. This is who we are as a country. We're not the righteous people. Sometimes we're on the right side of conflicts, all right, and I agree with that. Oftentimes we're on the right side of major conflicts, but we're not righteous as a country. We're wicked. We're caught up in the wickedness of the systems of this world, but God still shows favor. 
So if you're here today and you're saying, boy, I've never experienced the grace and love of Jesus Christ. I identify with the sin. I know that I've served myself. I know that I've sought out my own ways. I know that I do my own things. I know that my sin is now causing God to grieve and it's inviting judgment one day. I want you to know God's favor is still seeking out you. You are God's desire. Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. You included. God showed His favor to all men when He did that. Now your job is to respond in faith. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the day to get your life right with Jesus Christ. If you do know Jesus Christ, this is the day for you to understand and appreciate how wicked the world is, how certain judgment is, and how great God is. That you aren't living under judgment anymore. Noah escaped the judgment of God. We're going to talk about it in depth next week. He escaped the judgment of God. The reason he escaped the judgment of God is because God chose to favor him. And at the coming of Jesus Christ, he chose to favor you. So if you're here today and you've been forgiven, live a life of gratitude for the God who protected you. From the destruction that you earned. Guys, our pagan lives, the things that we do, invite God's judgment. It grieves the heart of God. Stop doing those things. But more than just stopping those things, seek out the forgiveness of the God of the universe who chose you when he sent his son to die for you. Let's pray.